Hey everyone, this is Danae Cox. Um, I'm going to share with you my study notes from the Purple Book, Chapter 11, uh, Arthritis and Related Disorders. This is based on the Hand and Upper Extremity Rehab uh, Reference Guide, the fourth edition. So again, um, this is just my notes, so it's not a complete overview of every question. I highly recommend that if you're studying for the CHT that you purchase this book. And no, I do not get paid to say it. It's just a great resource. So anyways, let's get into it. So arthritis and related disorders. Um, first off, rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic progressive inflammatory disease that primarily affects the synovium. The wrist is the primary joint affected and it affects 50% of patients with RA within the first two years of disease onset. There are four stages to RA. Stage one is the acute stage. The patient will have pain, swelling, and inflammation. Symptoms are bilaterally and primarily in the PIPs and the MCPs and the wrist. For the stage one acute stage, a resting orthosis as needed to decrease pain is appropriate. Stage two of RA is called the subacute stage. There is a reduction in symptoms of stage one, but now they have decreased range of motion. So they don't have as much pain, but they lose their motion. There is a mild articular cartilage changes occurring due to the synovium and tendon sheath inflammation. For stage two, the subacute stage, a night orthosis is recommended to prevent deformities and decrease pain. Stage three is known as the chronic active destructive stage. In stage three, destruction of the bone and cartilage um, begins. Joint deformity is present. They would benefit from a functional day orthotic and also a night, the night orthotic is continued. The last stage of RA is stage four, and this is severe joint deformity. This is where the patients will have joint fusion, instability, or dislocation can occur. Any orthosis used during this stage are merely for comfort and to provide joint stability, such as a thumb spica splint. So again, with RA, it's a chronic progressive inflammatory disease that primarily affects the synovium. You have stages one through four, with stage one being the acute stage, so you're gonna have pain and inflammation and swelling. Stage two is subacute. The symptoms, uh, the pain is gonna be a little less, but now they're going to start losing motion because um, of the synovium and tendon sheath inflammation that occurred in stage one. And then stage three is gonna be your chronic active destruction phase. So this is where um, literally the bone and cartilage are being destroyed. So you're gonna see a lot of joint deformities. Remember with RA, you get um, um, that zigzag deformity of the wrist and digits with the um, digits going into ulnar drift at the MCPs and the wrist uh, moving radially. 
Um, so stage four is the end stage of RA. They will have severe joint deformity and there's really not much that you can do besides splinting for comfort and uh, splinting for any, you know, fun to improve functional uh, due to instability. RA comorbidities often include cardiovascular, respiratory, and gastrointestinal conditions. Life expectancy of RA patients can be shortened. So now we're gonna talk about some specific RA deformities. When you have RA of the thumb, uh, the boutonniere of the thumb is the most common collapsed deformity. This deformity typically begins with changes at the MP. However, it can be reversed and start at the IP, such as volar plate stretching or FPL rupture. Excessive pinch will exacerbate the deformity, eventually leading to a fixed contracture. So it's really important with these patients that have um, uh, a boutonniere deformity of the thumb due to RA, that you get them in an appropriate uh, like thumb spica splint to support the structure so that um, it increases stability and it won't lead to that fixed contracture. Another RA deformity can be the swan neck deformity. This can occur from muscle and tendon imbalances along with joint laxity. Intrinsic tightness will cause an increase in extensor force at the PIP causing a swan neck deformity. The treatment includes, if it is an early swan neck, then you can do gentle stretching and lengthening exercises that encourage full PIP flexion with MCP extension. So this is like your hook fist and your intrinsic minus position. For early swan neck, you wanna avoid intrinsic plus positions in ADL, such as holding a book crocheting and resting the hand on back of the digits. The swan neck is the second most common deformity for RA. So remember RA of the thumb, a boutonniere of the thumb is the most common collapse deformity with RA, but the swan neck deformity is um, the second most common deformity. Extensor tendon ruptures can occur in RA due to attrition, ischemic, sorry, they're, they're due to either attrition or ischemic or both. Um, attritional ruptures is a gradual, gradual reduction of strength from the disease process and the tendon rubbing repeatedly across roughened bone, such as an ulnar styloid or Lister's tubercle. So this is like when you have your um, random EPL rupture and where it rubs on Lister's tubercle or if you have the ruptures of the um, EDM and EDC of the small finger by rubbing on the, um, the roughened ulnar styloid. So this is, those are known as attritional ruptures. Ischemic ruptures is where tenosynovitis um, causes tendon compression, which weakens the tendon and decreases the blood supply, resulting into a rupture. 
Extensor ruptures typically occur ulnarly to radially, affecting the small finger first. The small finger will rupture due to the tendon rubbing over the ulnar head. When it ruptures, the extensor tendons shift ulnarly, causing the ring finger tendon to rub on the ulnar head, and then it ruptures as well, and then so on. So you gotta remember all of those, uh, our extensor tendons are connected by the juncturae. So if the um, EDC, EDM ruptures, then it's automatically going to slip over ulnarly, which means the middle finger EDC is now rubbing on the ulnar head. And when that ruptures, it's gonna slide ulnarly again. So now you have, um, I'm sorry, after the small finger is the ring finger. I think I said middle, but you guys got me. So um, after the ring finger, the middle finger, and then the index. So our ruptures for RA are going to typically occur ulnarly to radially. Um, you can also have a flexor tendon rupture. However, this is going to be opposite of the extensor rupture. So, you know, I just said that the extensor ruptures are gonna rupture ulnarly to radially. Well, the flexors are going to rupture radially and move ulnarly. So the FPL is first ruptured due to attritional rupture on the scaphoid. Then the index finger as it shifts radially and now rubs on the scaphoid and so on and so on. So with extensors, we have the issue of the ulnar head and with the flexors, we have the issue of the scaphoid. RA of the wrist, you can have what's called Capote-Ulnay syndrome. This is the end stage presentation of RA at the wrist. Destruction of the DRUJ resulting in radial deviation. Uh, the carpal sublux volarly on the owner side causing a prominent owner head. So again, caput ulnae syndrome is um, an end-stage presentation of RA at the wrist. It is where destruction of the DRUJ resulting in radial deviation, the carpal sublux volarly on the ulnar side causing a prominent ulnar head. RA patients can also present with an intrinsic plus hand. So um, they often have intrinsic plus contractures. And so the OT uh, can create an MCP block splint and exercises. The exercises in the blocking splint include active range of motion flexion extension of the eyepiece and radial deviation. You want the patients to complete exercises 10 reps three times a day. We talked about this earlier, the zigzag deformity. This is where you have the owner drift of the digits and radial drift of the carpals on the form. So they get that zigzag. When you do your nighttime resting orthotics on these patients, um, 
even if they've had like MCP arthroplasties, you want to splint their their digits in slight radial deviation where it's like you're almost overcorrecting the ulnar so that they can realign. But then the wrist, it needs to have a um, pad on the radial portion to help push it ulnarly. So it's like you're trying to uh, fix that, that um, deformity and line it up the best you can. So speaking of MP arthroplasty, let's talk about different surgical invention, uh, interventions for RA. Um, you have um, the crossed intrinsic transfer. This is, uh, in order for this to be appropriate, the rheumatoid arthritis must be well-controlled. A crossed intrinsic transfer is performed with a synovectomy in order to attempt to restore finger alignment and prevent ulnar drift. The intrinsics are released from the ulnar side of the index, middle, and ring finger, and then transferred to the radial aspect of the adjacent fingers to provide additional radial stability. So like we were saying, those fingers tend to do an ulnar drift at the MP. So if they take the intrinsics from the ulnar side and they transfer them radially, it's going to um, give more support and help pull those digits back to neutral. And this is called the crossed intrinsic transfer. Wrist arthroplasty. This is performed to improve wrist motion but will not necessarily improve strength or fine motor use. The patient must have good bone stock in the radius and the third metacarpal for the implant to be successful. A Swanson silicone implant is the most commonly used and range of motion outcome um, is typically 40 to 70 total active motion of wrist extension flexion. All right, so that's not a whole lot. So um, again, we're talking about total active motion, 40 to 70 degrees of wrist extension and flexion is the expected outcome for wrist arthroplasty. Protocol, post-op is gonna be um, the first three to five days. The OT will fabricate a wrist orthotic with the wrist in slight extension. At two weeks, gentle wrist active range of motion is be began if the implant is stable per the surgeon. You also want to make sure a digital extensor lag does not occur. Six weeks post wrist arthroplasty, you're going to discharge the orthotic, but you but they may continue to wear it with strenuous activities. The next surgical intervention for RA that we're going to talk about is a PIP arthroplasty and an MCP arthroplasty. So with the PIP arthroplasty, they will never do um, the index finger because of the lateral forces applied with pinch would result in implant failure. An MCP arthroplasty is very common. The protocol for that is that the bulky post-op dressing will be removed day three to five and a dynamic MPJ flexion orthotic for day use is fabricated 
allowing 70 degrees of MP flexion and returning to neutral. The MCP should also be placed in slight radial deviation. We talked about that earlier. And the wrist in 20, 0 to 20 degrees extension and 10 to 20 degrees ulnar deviation. Again, we talked about that. <clears throat> so the dynamic MP flexion splint will be discharged at six weeks. The second splint that you're gonna make uh, immediately is also going to be a resting hand splint for night. Think about it, a dynamic splint, you could get away with just that, but um, it's not gonna really support the digits and it's not gonna be comfortable to sleep in. So a resting night splint is important. It will be volar ba based. It'll have the wrist and MCPs in neutral, positioning to avoid ulnar drift of the digits and padding the radial wrist to push the wrist ulnarly to counteract the radial deformity. The resting hand splint for night will be used for three to four months post-surgery. So again, the two splints immediately are going to be fabricated for MC arthroplasty are a dynamic MP flexion splint, allowing 70 degrees of MP flexion and returning to neutral and also a resting hand splint for night, which will place the wrist and MPs in neutral, positioning to avoid ulnar drift and padding the radial wrist to push ulnarly to counteract the radial deformity. The dynamic MP flexion orthotic is discharged at six weeks. However, the resting hand splint is continued to be used at night for three to four months post-surgery. Three weeks post an MP P, uh, arthroplasty, general active range of motion is performed out of the splint. And then at five weeks, you begin light functional activities. You want to avoid lateral pinch for at least six to eight weeks post-op to prevent lateral forces transferring to the MCP. So again, avoid lateral force Sorry, avoid lateral pinch for at least six to eight weeks post-op to prevent lateral forces transferring to the MCP. The expected outcome of the MCP arthroplasty is for the index finger and middle finger flexion to be 45 to 60 degrees, and then the ring finger and small finger will be a little bit more of 60 to 70 degrees. I will tell you that the authors um, vary with this of the expected outcome for MCP flexion anywhere between 40 and 80 degrees. The general rule of thumb is to remember that more mobility equals less stability. So these arthroplasties are, you know, because they have a lot of instability and so they're designed to provide that stability. And so the more mobility that they have, the more range, the less stable that uh, joint's gonna be. So the less, less motion in the index finger and middle finger will provide a good stable joint for fine motor, dexterity, and pinch. More motion in the ring finger, small finger will provide a better gross grasp. So overall, the goal is functional arc of motion for that patient's needs. 
If extension contractures occur after an MCP arthroplasty, then a flexion traction splint can be initiated at three weeks post-op. It will be worn five times a day for 20 minutes on light tension. If the desired flexion is not achieved in the first three weeks, then it will be very difficult to gain further range of motion. <clears throat> With RA patients, you really want to stress energy conservation. The patient should be educated to alternate between light, medium, and heavy activities and change positions every 30 minutes during an activity. Sleep is also very important um, because decreased sleep actually increases fatigue, which in turn will increase pain. In the acute stage of RA, it is recommended that a patient has 10 to 12 hours of sleep. You also want to encourage the patient to balance activity with daytime rest to avoid fatigue. So moving away from uh, rheumatoid arthritis, we're going to talk about septic arthritis, which is uncommon. So septic arthritis is an infection. The signs and symptoms include pain, swelling, decreased active and passive range of motion, loss of function in the affected joints, and a fever present in approximately 50% of cases. Typically, there will be purulent exudate within the joint capsule, and this could lead to death, joint destruction, and long-term functional deficits. Juvenile idiopathic arthritis. It is the most common chronic joint inflammatory disease in children less than 16 years old. Juvenile idiopathic arthritis was previously known as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. There are three types of juvenile arthritis. You have oligoarthritis, polyarthritis, and systemic arthritis. Oligoarthritis is the most common type of juvenile arthritis. It's classified as four or less joints involved in the first six months of the disease. Oligoarthritis is more common in girls and occurs in larger joints. Polyarthritis is the second most common juvenile arthritis. Polyarthritis can affect larger or smaller joints and it's more common in girls. Systemic arthritis is the least common juvenile arthritis. The entire body is affected. Fevers, faint rash, and inflammation of the spleen and membranes covering the heart and lungs. So for juvenile arthritis, it is the most chronic joint inflammatory disease in children less than 16 year old, years old. There are three types oligoarthritis, polyarthritis, and systemic arthritis, um, with oligoarthritis being the most common. It involves uh, four or less joints within the first six months of the disease. Polyarthritis, which is the second most common, can affect larger or smaller joints, 
and systemic arthritis affects the patient systemically, including um, the entire body, fevers, faint rash, and inflammation. Osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is um, a joint disease that typically affects the articular cartilage. And it's prevalent in women greater than 50 years old. The DIP is most affected by OA followed by the thumb CMC. So remember, rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory disease that primarily affects the synovium. Whereas osteoarthritis is a joint disease that typically affects the articular cartilage. So RA is synovium, OA is articular cartilage. OA is prevalent in women older than 50. And again, the DIP is the most affected joint with osteoarthritis. And second will be the thumb CMC. A patient can have herbidines or Bouchard's nodes. Herbidine's nodes are bony enlargements at the DIP, and Bouchard's nodes are bony enlargements at the PIP. So the way I remember this is um, B comes before H. So if you're looking at your finger, the first joint, um, the PIP, and then the most distal joint is the DIP. So what's gonna come first is B, Bouchard's, and last is H, Herbidine's. Osteoarthritis quintet was termed when multiple presentations occur together. They consist of herbidines, nodules, mucoid cyst, first CMC OA, trigger finger, and carpal tunnel syndrome. So a whole lot is going on. I think that I've seen this in the clinic more than I've realized because uh, I didn't know the official name of it. But osteoarthritis quintet is the term that is used when there's multiple presentations that occur together. This will include herbidine nodes, mucoid cyst, first CMC osteoarthritis, trigger finger, and carpal tunnel syndrome. For thumb osteoarthritis conservative management, you want to strengthen the muscles that perform opposition using mild to moderate resistance. The pain should not exceed two hours following exercises. You want to focus on joint protection and activity modification education. The CMC orthodosis is initially worn continuous until the pain remains low and then you gradually wean and then eventually just use it as needed. Some therapy assessments for CMC arthritis include the grind test, which is most frequently used, distraction, metacarpal base compression, and the traction shift test. During the grind test, the therapist will um, take the thumb metacarpal, rotate it while actually compressing the joint. The test is positive with pain or crepitus. The traction shift test, the therapist applies traction 
followed by pressure over the dorsal aspect of the base of the metacarpal. And if the pain or crepitus uh, is present, then the traction shift test is positive. You can look at um, page 259 in the purple book, fourth edition, for the other test descriptions. I only um, put the two most common, the grain test and the traction shift test, but you should know um, other assessments for CMC arthritis include grind test, which is most frequent, distraction, metacarpal base compression, and the traction shift test. Osteoarthritis of the thumb, the surgical options include um, an LRTI, a trapeziectomy, a mini tightrope, um, which is also known as a sus suspension plasty. So let's first talk about the LRTI. This is ligament reconstruction tendon interposition arthroplasty. The LRTI is most common and it's indicated for stage three or stage four osteoarthritis. With an LRTI, there will be a removal of the trapezium, reconstruction of the beak limit, ligament, which the beak ligament is also known as the volar oblique ligament. They will use the FCR um, to reconstruct the ligament. Sometimes they will use the ECRL or APL for the donor tendon. However, the most common uh, is the FCR. So an LRTI, ligament reconstruction, tendon interposition, arthroplasty, and includes removal of the trapezium, and then they reconstruct the beak ligament. Remember the beak limit, ligament is the primary stabilizing ligament for the thumb. So they'll reconstruct that ligament using the FCR. Protocol following uh, post-op, you will have a mobilization via thumb spica cast, splint or cast for four to six weeks, and then begin active range of motion and splinting between exercises. Grip and pinch should be avoided until 12 weeks post-op. The goal is functional range of motion. It is not uncommon for these patients to have pain six to 12 months post-op. Another procedure for, um, for CMC osteoarthritis, they can just have a trapeziectomy. This is not typically favored because there will be a long rehab and it's very painful. The mini tightrope procedure, which is also known as a suture button suspension plasty. This is where they do either a partial or a complete trapeziectomy. The first metacarpal is suspended and prevented from encroaching the CMC space by use of a suture button implant. This procedure tends to be more stable than an LRTI. However, you must communicate with the surgeon to guide your treatment protocol. Protocol following a suspension plasty or a mini tightrope. They will have a thumb spica splint, 
Active range of motion can begin at two weeks post-op. Thumb opposition to ring finger and small finger are not performed, and they may use their hand for light self-care out of the splint. Four weeks post-op, gentle strengthening and the orthotic is weaned. And then at 10 weeks post mini tightrope procedure, the orthotic is discharged and normal hand use is encouraged. There are various medications that can help treat both osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. For OA, the first line of defense is Tylenol. But if they're in the inflammatory stage or the Tylenol does not help, then NSAIDs such as ibuprofen, meloxicam, which is Mobic, naproxen, or Celebrex are used. With rheumatoid arthritis, they're going to require a disease-modifying anti-rheumatoid drug. So this is known as DMARD. Disease-modifying anti-rheumatoid drugs have anti-inflammatory and disease-modifying properties which help reduce structural damage in RA patients. The most common prescribed is mexotresate. Scleroderma, um, it's also known as systemic sclerosis. There are two types of scleroderma. You have diffuse cutaneous systemic sclerosis and limited cutaneous systemic sclerosis. With the diffuse sclerosis, the patient will have rapid onset of skin thickening beginning distally. It includes the trunk and it's more internal involvement that can include kidney, heart disease, and severe deformities in the hands. Limited sclerosis is limited to the limbs and head. These patients can have what's called CREST syndrome, which stands for, uh, it's an acronym, C-R-E-S-T. So it stands for calcinosis, which is formation of calcium deposits in any soft tissue. Raynaud's will be present. Esophageal dysmotility, which is where the esophagus contractures leading to difficulty swallowing. Sclerodactyly, skin tightening in the fingers or toes. And telangiectasia, which is spider veins. Spider veins is so much easier to say. Um, so yes, so with limited sclerosis, you can have um, what's called Crest syndrome, where it's calcinosis, calcium deposits, Raynaud's, esophageal dysmotility, which is difficulty swallowing, sclerodactyly, which is skin tightening in the digits and toes, and then telangiectasia, which is spider veins. Hand therapy goals for um, scleroderma include maintain the maximum range of motion. So range of motion is not going to increase with this disease. So you wanna maintain what they have and maximize it. You wanna prevent contractures, maintain MCP flexion and thumb abduction. You wanna prevent wrist and elbow contractures, 
maintain lateral pinch. Out of all the pinches, lateral pinch is the most functional. You also want to perform skin care, orthotics to prevent deformity, and adaptive equipment to increase function. Um, some things that are contraindicated for scleroderma are cold packs and contrast baths. Remember, Raynaud's is typically included with systemic sclerosis. And flutotherapy is a dry heat, which is not good because of the dry hardened skin. The best modality for scleroderma is paraffin because it improves joint mobility through heat, but also moisturizes the skin. Temperature um, of the paraffin has to be low though because of the patient's heat sensitivity. The factors that affect ADLs um, are that the patients tend to have puffy fingers, joint pain, joint swelling, decreased grip strength and difficulty with palmar abduction of the thumb, decreased wrist extension, and poor composite index and middle finger range of motion. All right, moving on to psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis, you will see nail pitting and onchiolysis, which um, onchiolysis is painless detachment of the nail. So like peeling um, off of the nail bed. It usually occurs distally to proximal. With psoriatic arthritis, uh, not only will you have nail pitting and onchiolosis, you will also have scaly arithmetous skin rash. It's common on the head, knees, and elbow. You have asymmetric involvement in the hands. And psoriatic arthritis mimics RA clinically However, what's different is the skin lesions, the nail changes, and DIP involvement help determine the diagnosis. Psoriatic arthritis is a combo of psoriasis and inflammatory arthritis. <clears throat> Gouty arthritis. In an acute gout flare, the joint pain progresses rapidly with peak in, in 24 hours. It can be exacerbated by excessive alcohol intake, dehydration, and eating red meat or seafood. Lupus. System lupus arithmetesis, or SLE, is an autoimmune disease. The signs and symptoms of lupus include mouth ulcers, rash, photosensitivity, renal disorders. Lupus can be mild or life-threatening, and hand deformities can be passively correctable and can be treated with orthotics for support. Um, we talked about PIP and MCP arthroplasties and CMC arthroplasties, but the patients can also undergo an elbow arthroplasty. So an elbow arthroplasty is indicated with degenerative joint disease that causes limited range of motion and pain. The candidates for elbow arthroplasty are patients that are 65 years or older without demanding lifestyles. 
So after an elbow arthroplasty, the max that a patient is going to be able to lift for a lifetime is 10 pounds. ADL functional strength. All, the, all a patient needs to be functional is 20 pounds of grip strength and then 5 to 7 pounds of pinch strength to accomplish most ADLs. So again, that's 20 pounds of grip strength and then 5 to 7 pounds of pinch strength. And that is all I have for chapter 11, arthritis and related disorders. Thank you for listening.